Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. Good morning. Uh, I, I want to kick off by asking you a simple question today. Uh, have you ever ruined an opportunity? Yeah, we're all like, woohoo. I remember uh, I did specifically. Uh, my wife and I, we stayed at one of those fancy hotels. Now, you pull up to the fancy hotel, you, you, you park your car, you don't really know where to go, right? And, and you're like figuring this out. You're like, I'm more of a Motel 6 kind of guy. So I'm like, what do we do? Why am I here? I'm out of my comfort zone. And uh, we pull up and it's like, you know, these, these young, like, strapping strong guys they run to the back of your car and they're like hey we'll get those those suitcases for you and i'm like whoa i like hey man i still got it like you know one of those moments like and plus uh, like i'm bougie on a budget right here so like i don't have a lot of money to give you so i don't want it to, but but that's kind of how it is. So this is what I did. I said, hey, babe, go get the cart, you know, because I'll stay with the car and the kids. You go get the cart, and I'll unload everything. So as I'm unloading everything, like, I didn't know that we were actually doing someone's job at this, this resort thing. And it was uh, one of those very interesting experiences. So, I, so we load it all up, and we pull it on the car, and we pull over the curb, and and then I, I drive off, and I'm like driving circles looking for the self-park. I don't do valet. I'm like, I believe in the steps, right? Like, you got to stay healthy. Um, little did I know, there was no self-park. It was all valet. So I'm like, okay, I've never done this before. This is kind of a unique experience. And as I'm trying to figure this all out, I end up discovering that there was a parking lot that I thought was self-park. So I park my car. I get out. This guy looks at me and like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, I found self-park. I'm an efficient man. I don't need anybody around here helping me in this area. I'm sweating beads at this moment because I don't know, you know, one of those awkward opportunities. My wife calls me and she says, Blake, there is no self-park. I just spoke with somebody. In fact, you have to drop your car off. So I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. I can't get out of the parking lot because the gate shut. So I'm in this, like, I'm sweating beats, so they have to send somebody down from the office to open, to scan through, so I can get my car to then go drop it off, to be like, hey guys, uh, you know, I'm trying to act like I know what I'm doing here. And in reality, I had no idea what I was doing. That ruined the rest of the trip. That moment, that opportunity. This time, this moment where we, we, we saved up money to have this experience, not knowing what to do, missed an opportunity that kind of threw a curveball our way because I fell out of my element. Have you ever been there where you missed an opportunity where God is saying, hey, here's something to enjoy, here's someone to engage with? Here's someone to have a good time with. Here's a great experience in life. But you get wrapped up in all the distractions that you miss what's right in front of you. Today, I want to talk to you about this. And we titled this message, Advance on God-Given Opportunities. 
God-given opportunities are all around us. I think sometimes we miss those God-given opportunities because of maybe it's our false expectations of what we think that opportunity should look like. Maybe it's because of the way we want to allocate or spend our time that we miss actually being the presence of the ones that we are with. God gives us opportunities, and they're all around us. They're in our everyday life, conversations with people, job opportunities. They're all around us. And as a follower of Jesus and as a church body, the question we need to ask ourselves, am I advancing on the God-given opportunities that I have on the daily? I'm reminded in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, the Israelites they're being called into this opportunity to take over the promised land. It's, it's new for them. There's sometimes doubt. They just lost a whole generation. It's this new wave coming in, and this is what they are told. This is what God has gifted them, to always remember this. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Everybody say, wherever you go. So in the Motel 6, God's with you. At the High End Resort, God's with you. Wherever opportunity, whatever is around in your day-to-day life, in your year-to-year living, God is with you. But you know what kind of messes us up a lot when it comes to this? We go back to... If we look at Joshua 1.9, we get a little fearful, right? We get a little discouraged. We call this, let's lock into our security. Standing still in security misses God-given opportunity, right? Because we get a little fearful. Do I take this step? Should I do this? Is this really what God's calling me to do? Is this really what God's asking me to do? What's a God-given opportunity look like? See, standstill security is the enemy of God-given opportunity. Understand that, that if the devil can lock you in place, that's a win for him. See, God is a God that's saying, hey, I want to take you from point A, move you to point B, move you to point C. I want to keep you going forward in life, not staying locked in place in life. So advance on God-given opportunities. Today, we're going to be talking about this portion of Scripture where an opportunity is presented for people that come to know the Lord that really if it wasn't for what takes place in Acts chapter 10, you and I and billions of Christians since the first century church would never know who Jesus is. See, God uses this next season. He sends us into this next season to advance with him into the next season. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, we see two prolific figures. This man by the name of Cornelius and this man by the name of Peter. Now, if you're not familiar, let me just give you a little background to where we are in the story of the first century church. Jesus, see, in the Gospels, we see his life where he, he, he dies and 
and gives up his life. He comes and he spends time with the disciples, and then they're, they're kind of left in the beginning of Acts chapter 10 to wait 10 days and to pray. And, and really, up until this point of Acts chapter 10, the church was known and kind of driven for what they thought, the apostles thought, was just for the, the Jewish nation, the people, the inheritance of God. From Joshua chapter 1 all the way through here, they thought it was more of the, the Israelite. But then God speaks, God moves, and what happens is opens up a wave for people who are known as Gentiles to receive Jesus, to understand who Jesus, the saving grace of who Jesus is. And so it actually is kind of astonishing, and we're going to see how Peter looks at it, and how this opportunity is presented, and how lives are drastically changed, that so much so that people like you and me can now experience a life-changing relationship with Jesus because of what takes place in Acts chapter 10. But first and foremost, when it comes to this, we need to understand that advancing with God-given opportunities first begins with prayer. First begins with prayer. In Acts chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, we see this. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of an Italian regiment. He was a devout God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Now, I want to highlight a few things right there. He was a Roman officer. Jewish people did not like Roman officers. Peter, this man we discover later on in Acts chapter 10, this devout Jewish individual, this devout apostle to Jesus, the leader of the first century church, because Rome was considered this oppressing power into this nation. And so what we see taking place is that this man was, is known as a proselyte. He feared God. He believed in God. He even practiced the ways of what it meant to draw close to God, but he didn't walk with God. Now, I want to be very clear, a God-fearing man, a Roman army centurion at this point, it's, it, it's important for us to understand that there's people that know God exists, believe in God, but aren't born again. It's one of those things that we have to assess in our life to say, hey, have I committed to who Jesus is in my life? See, this God fear, he didn't know, but what's he doing? He's praying. It means he's, he's showing up at, at approximately three o'clock. He's, he's praying and God moves. You might be in here right now and you don't have a relationship with God. You're your question is, you believe in God, you're in here and you're pulled and you're prompted and you're asking yourselves like, hey, I'm in here, but there's a lot of doubt stirring in my mind. This is what I would encourage you. What Psalms 139 says is this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that, off point out anything that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. 
See, my challenge to you is this. You might not know God. You might not say, I'm a born-again believer, but my encouragement is start a conversation with who God is. And I guarantee He can show up in your life. He can advance you to where He wants you to be. He can give you an opportunity, but it starts with prayer. And then we look on the other side of it. We see this man by the name of Peter. Peter, he's now praying in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof to what? Pray. It was about noon. So it's important for us to understand two components, that we see this, this move of the gospel into this Gentile church, this Gentile people, people who were thought less than, unworthy than, looked down upon, who are now being gifted with the message of who Jesus is, it starts with prayer. Peter is praying, opportunity shows up. We advance on God-given opportunities, on time, on God's time. How many of us know we like to have our own time, right? We like to have some things dialed in and, and measured up and say, hey, God, I will seize the opportunity when you make it the way I want that opportunity to be. When you make it the way that I see fit, when it's my time, like God, work in my life at approximately 11, 11 a.m., and we'll call life good. How many of you know when it comes to God's time, it doesn't really work like that? God's time is different than our time. God's time is more about condition, God's time is more about obedience. Sometimes God's more focused on, hey, we got to measure, is, is your life living in obedience that's how God's time works. In Acts chapter 10, verse 3, one afternoon about 3 o'clock, he had a vision, this being, P, uh, this, uh, uh, this being Cornelius, in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, the next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof, and it was about noon. And in verse 10, we see this, and he was hungry, but while a meal, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. I'm going to pause right there. When we look at what's taking place here in God's time, see, God's time's not our time. And what we can fall into this slippery slope is this. We start analyzing everyone else's opportunity. We start analyzing what is taking place, what is happening, and then we start becoming critical of God. Hey, this opportunity isn't taking place in my life. God, I didn't get the job that I wanted to, but that person got asked for a promotion. God, I'm looking for this relationship, but I'm not finding that relationship. We start analyzing God's time. Then we start becoming critical of God's time, and therefore we can't advance on the opportunities that God's gifted us in our day-in, day-out relationships, experiences, those who we're around. When you look in verse 3, it says, at 3 o'clock, there was a vision. 
Dr. Luke was always very pointed when it comes to the time. The apostles, at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, what takes place is that they're sitting in the upper room, they're waiting 10 days. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to ha- what's going to happen. They just are given a command, stay here, wait, and they're praying. And as they're praying, 10 days go by. Guess what happens? The Holy Spirit ascends on the church. The church radically expands, and the church radically grows. Cornelius, the messengers show up. It's about noon. Peter's praying. Cornelius is praying. All at different moments of different thoughts, different instances, their time, human time, but God's time comes clear and comes at the exact time that it's needed. See, God-given opportunity comes sometimes in moments where we don't feel like it's the right time. I want to go back to verse 10 in Acts chapter 10, verse 10. It says this. I found this very fascinating in the text. It says, and he was hungry. So Peter is praying and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, it's interesting. You know, some of the greatest opportunities we have aren't necessarily at the time we want them to take place. Have you ever experienced that before in your life? You're like, oh, man. Like, I'll, I'll step out on this opportunity, I'll, I'll move forward, I'll do what God's calling me to do, but it, like, can I make sure everything is okay? Can I make everything is, is fine? I know for us, um, when it's coming to God's time, I always encourage young people. You know, sometimes when it comes to, to meeting the, the right person, You have to be more engaged with doing what God's calling you to do and this idea of obedience than it is trying to get everything locked into your time. And sometimes it doesn't always feel right. And you go looking and you go searching and you're like, I got to make Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And you get confused a little bit and you get searching a little bit. You get desperate a little bit and you're, you're wondering like, hey, it's not necessarily feeling right. There's other times in life when we ever look and God's given us an opportunity to, hey, maybe I should go pray with this person. Wow, man, I got to get the kids. I got to get out. I want to get to lunch. There's other moments where it's like, man, I don't feel like going to church. Like, I'm tired. It's spring ahead Sunday. Like, out of all the days of the week, why did they make it on Sunday? It couldn't have been like Monday, like school, like no one, you know, like, but no, it's Sunday. Sometimes the greatest opportunities we have come in moments where we don't necessarily feel or want them to occur in our schedule. So in verse 11, he says, he saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet, were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
And look at Peter's response. No, Lord, Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. See, God's time doesn't necessarily measure up with our thoughts or our time. God's more interested in our obedience. God's more interested in stepping in faith. God is more interested in us listening when he shows up in our life. So my challenge to you, when you're looking at life, when you're living in life, when you're living day to day, moment to moment, hour to hour, is saying, hey God, how do you want me to advance on the opportunities that you're presenting? God, is it my schedule or is it your schedule? God, is it my context of relationships or is it maybe I need to meet someone else? Maybe I need to, to stretch myself. See, when Peter is being told that, hey, there is a, a, new, a new wave, a, a new vision for God's church, Peter defaults to what he knew what he knows. And that leads me into point number three for us this morning is this. We advance on God's time with a new perspective. How many of us know sometimes it's hard to gain a new perspective? You ever sat down with somebody and you you shared some of your thoughts and they're like, well, I see it this way. And I'm like, you can see it that way, but that doesn't really, no, that doesn't matter. My way matters. You know, the sun is approximately 865,000 miles wide, vast. But you can take the smallest coin and you can actually take it, put it, in your, put it outside your eye and you can go back and forth and you can eliminate the vastness. And we can lose point of view. You know, a lot of times in life, we can do that with people around us. We can cover up someone else's perspective. We can cover up someone else's point of view. In Acts chapter 10, verse 10 and 16, where we see this changing or this this new way come about, we see, and let me read these verses again, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So not only is he commanded to eat certain food, he's commanded to go kill certain food. Peter says, no, Lord, Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. And we can see this back in Leviticus. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. How many times? Three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. See, the point of what was taking place is this, that the Jewish people were coming to this understanding, the apostles, the first church was coming to this understanding that now that the gospel isn't just for them, but for all people. See, a Jewish person to eat something would be considered unclean. The Jewish person to hang out with a Gentile would be considered unclean. 
But three times, this vision had to occur in Peter's life to even help him start getting a new perspective. See, Peter's Jewish heritage established two major rules in his life. One, Peter thought the ability to worship God with, was connected with what he ate. How many of us would be pretty sad if that's really what it was contingent on, right? You're like, hey, I don't think I can eat McDonald's. Or maybe some of us are like, hey, I think God would really like if I ate that Big Mac, Big Mac right? I think there's moments where we kind of make some things a little bit legalistic in life. If we make some things more rule-following, and that's what is taking place in Acts chapter 10. Secondly, we also see that Peter also thought his cleanliness, his cleanliness was with who he hung out with. Now, if you know anything about Jesus' life, studied anything about Jesus' life, Jesus was known as an a individual that hung out with sinners, tax collectors, cheaters, hung out with prostitutes. Jesus came to abolish the idea that, hey, who you hang out with makes you unclean. That each person, if you're looking in your left, you're looking in your right, you're looking all around, are people and children of God. That they matter. See, our past can cloud our perspective. Our past can be a lot like you know, when kids are on the playground, you see one group over here, one group over there, and they sometimes don't engage. And, and it's like, hey, we, we have these cliques that form, and we have these moments that form at work. You have some group over here or some people over there. And really, Jesus came to dismantle all of that right here in Acts chapter 10 in the first church that's being all dismantled, that Jesus is the Lord and leader and the Savior for each and every person who believes. Peter, the leader of the church, was struggling to get this. Three times he had to get the vision. But if you look back in Mark chapter 7, we also see another instance where Jesus says this, don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? I know I answered that question right there. So if you're wondering if McDonald's is good or Taco Bell is good, don't worry, it can't defile you. Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through your stomach and then goes in to the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food was acceptable in God's eyes. Peter had privilege to see this teaching. It still was missing it. Challenge for each and every one of us is no matter where we're at, there's always work to see and to receive a godly perspective. A godly perspective at times is a changing perspective with the people we engage with. A lot of times before you can share the gospel, you have to understand the perspective of someone on your right or on your left. You have to understand the perspective of what God's trying to teach and minister to in those moments. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter finally arrives and says, Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. 
But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. My challenge for you is this. If you have people around where you're thinking, hey, you're walking by at work, you, you know that you're hanging out with, or, and there's this like level of like, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm a step above them. Or, hey, you know, like, uh, I'm not them. And we do this comparison thing. Don't view this as a comparison thing. View it as an opportunity where God's kingdom can advance. View this as, hey, how can I start a relationship? How can I minister to this person? How can I befriend this person? That's what's being challenged right now in, in Peter's thinking, in, in Peter's mind. And it took vision, it took repetition, it took moments. It took time for him to get it. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, then Peter replied, finally he gets, he says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. How many of you are thankful for that? And then we also see this. We advance on God-given opportunities to see lives powerfully changed. There's this notable Assembly of God missionary by the name of J.W. Tucker. He was brutally beaten, broken bottles, while his hands were tied behind his back. After being tortured, his captors, colonies, rebels, threw him in a crocodile-infested Bomokande River to be eaten alive. He died November 1964. He left on earth his wife Angeline and three kids. J.W., missionary friend Morris Plotz, tried to convince him. He said, don't go. Don't go to Congo. He says this, if you go in, you won't come out. To which Tucker replied and responded this. He says, God didn't tell me I had to come out. He only told me I had to go in. For over 30 years, it seemed like J.W. Tucker's sacrifice was all for nothing. The Bomakande River flows through this unreached people group called the Manjabatu. And during the civil unrest, the king of the Manjabatu reached out to the government and they sent in a brigadier, a policeman that J.W. ministered to 30 years prior to this event. Two months before J.W. died, he reached this man for Christ. So it comes to this point, there is this man who is trying to minister that J.W. ministered to this policeman and finally as he's going into this unreached people group, He's not having any luck until he discovers this one proverb. If the blood of any man flows in the Bomakande River, you must listen to his message. So this is what this policeman does in this unreached people group. He says, some time ago a man was killed and his body was thrown into the Bomakande River. The crocodiles in this river ate him up. 
His blood flowed in your river, but before he died, he left me a message. This message concerns God's Son, the Lord Jesus, who came to this world to save his people who were sinners. He died for the sins of this world. He died for my sins. I received this message, and it changed my life. As this unreached people group, the Manjabatui, sat there and listened, several of the members fell to their knees, surrendering their lives to Jesus. Since that day, thousands from that tribe have come to know Jesus. J.W. Tucker seemed like his work, his opportunity was in vain. But some 30 years after his death, Little did he know that seed he planted with that policeman, that brigadier man, a life, a tribe, generations would be changed. See, in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon him. Those who were listening to the message, the Jewish believers who came with Peter, were amazed at the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles too, on all people. You and me would be considered Gentiles. For they heard speaking in other tongues and praising God. And then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave the orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Gentile, Jewish, different background, unique background, come together under the umbrella of who Jesus is. Jesus powerfully changes lives. We advance on God-given opportunities to powerfully see lives transform. I'm going to ask you this, just show of hands, how many of you know, how many of you know someone who needs their life to be powerfully changed by the name of Jesus? How many of us want to take that moment, take that opportunity to say, hey, how can we be a part of advancing God's kingdom to reach those who are far from him? How many of us want to continue to say, hey, Lord, we want to make you the leader of our life. God, we're going to continue to meet you in prayer. God, we're going to continue to seek you at your time, not my time. God, give me a new perspective. God, what can we do to powerfully see the lives change that you've called to change. So we're going to enter in this moment of prayer. I'm going to ask every head to bow and eyes to be closed. And it's twofold. And the first piece I'm going to challenge you with as we pray is this. Are you advancing on God-given opportunities? by having a relationship with Jesus. If you want to start a relationship with Jesus right now, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If you haven't started a relationship with Jesus, if you want to make that commitment right now, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Just call on God right now. Thank you. Thank you. 
And right now, there's also those in this place that are, are seeking and searching. And maybe they're just stagnant, Lord. Lord, we're praying that you advance in their lives. Lord, may you meet us in our prayer life. Lord, may you meet us when it comes to a, our perspective. Lord, for those who are struggling with just being stuck in the security, Lord, may we ask that you move us into a, a, a moment where we take big steps, where we advance on God-given opportunities in our daily life, in our yearly life, whatever that might be, God, we pray that you move us forward. We call on your name right now, Lord. We call on your name. God, we call on your name. Minister to us, lead us today. Guide us through this week. In your great and holy name, we all say, amen. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.